1: release names of victims and shooter in Nashville school shooting there are certain networks that just start ignoring it because it doesn't it doesn't help them the US Coast Guard reports an 800 percent increase of migrants caught on smuggling vessels
0: some sectors in the border toll have seen a 900
1: percent increase expert warns ESG is harmful to capitalism
0: ESG
2: by its very definition is anti-market
1: this is the daybreak Insider podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, March 28th. I'm Jim Barto. At a Tennessee private Christian school, a shooter broke in and left three students and three adults dead, including the head of the school. The shooter was killed by police.
2: Confirming that uh, the shooter in this case was 28-year-old Audrey Hale, a former student, identifies as transgender. And that's key to this investigation, they say, as a possible motive. Police confirming the names and the ages. And one of those who was shot and killed, Catherine Kuntz, right here, was the head of the school. We also would often talk about metal detectors. This school didn't have those. And this shooter in this case blew out the
1: side door with their weapon. And that is how the shooter got got inside. The shooter was identified as Audrey Elizabeth Hale, a Nashville resident who identified as a transgender woman. Nashville Police Chief John Drake said Hale possibly prepared for the shooting, including having written a manifesto. Drake identifies the shooter.
3: Just an update from uh, today's uh, press conference. We've identified the shooter as Audrey Hale, a uh, 28-year-old female that lived in the Nashville area. We have investigations ongoing now at the residence on Brightwood Avenue. Uh, And we have made contact with uh, the father uh, that lived at that residence and are uh, putting together more information.
1: Chief Drink says that his department wasted no time making entry into the school to address the shooter.
3: I want to say thank you to our first responders who got there, and immediately went in and addressed the threat of someone that had multiple rounds of ammunition, prepared for a confrontation with law enforcement, prepared to do more harm than was actually done, and we were able to stop the threat and unfortunately, six victims. Uh, So my thoughts and prayers again, but the praise go to the men and women. As I've said before, we will not wait I was hoping this day would never, ever come here in this city, but we would never wait to make entry and to go in and to stop a threat, especially when it deals with our children.
1: Drake seems to suggest that one working theory on motive may have something to do with how the shooter identified as transgender.
3: We have a manifesto. We have some writings that we're going over uh, that uh, pertain to this day, the actual incident. We have a map drawn out of how this was all going to take place uh there's right now a theory of that's that we may be able to talk about later but it's not confirmed is there any
1: reason to believe that how she identifies is has any motive for targeting the school
3: we can give you that at a later time there is uh some theory to that we're investigating all the leads and once we know exactly we'll let you know
1: according to reports Hale was armed with two AR-style weapons, including a rifle and pistol, and a handgun. Two of the weapons may have been purchased legally in the Nashville area. The victims were identified by police as Evelyn Dickhouse, Haley Scruggs, and William Kinney, all age 9, Cynthia Peake, 61, Catherine Kuntz, 60, and 61-year-old Mike Hill. Kuntz was the head of school at Covenant, according to the school's website. Meanwhile, News Nation's Leland Vittert says that watching how the media covers this story will be interesting due to the nature of the shooter's identity as transgender.
2: And this shooting in particular is going to be fascinating because of the transgender uh, nature of the shooter. Um, we, we don't know whether it was male to female or female to male. There's all sorts of things we don't know. We don't know what's in this manifesto, um, on and on and on and on. Uh, but we do know that, that this, in terms of coverage, is going to require a lot of fairness and a lot of sensitivity, Um, and whether or not it gets that from all networks is is going to be a real question, or whether there are certain networks that just start ignoring it because it doesn't doesn't help them.
1: Colby Hall, the founding editor of Mediate, says the shootings like the one in Tennessee are complicated issues that require more nuance than what media outlets are giving them.
4: I think what we need to do is start to think holistically about every single part of this issue, right? Uh, we can't, you know, you see conservative media saying, ah, oh, what are we gonna do? There's nothing would have changed this. Well, that's a very defeatist attitude. We can't just accept this as our new normal. And I think what you just showed there on the clips is also sort of reprehensible. This sort of ongoing speculation, this vamping. This is this is the downside of live twenty-four-seven cable television, where you have these experts who lend their sort of gravity and their expertise and they know nothing about it, so they go they're booked to read from the talking points in uh, the scripts that they have memo- me- memorized. There, and, you know, they're not really saying anything other than guns are bad, when, of course, it's a way more complicated issue yeah. than that. And the mental health of so many of these kids, the isolation and, and you know, the, the disconnection that so many of these kids have from everyday society and our loss of community and religion and patriotism and all that stuff is really sad.
1: On Monday, the FBI released data on active shootings for 2021. The agency said there were 61 such incidents that year, with all but one committed by a male. The investigation is ongoing, and the Daybreak Insider podcast will update this story as information becomes available. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu agreed Monday evening to pause a divisive plan to overhaul the country's judicial system until the next parliament session following widespread unrest in Israel. As unprecedented strikes gripped Israel, Netanyahu said he was postponing voting on the judicial overhaul to allow time to reach a consensus. More on this from Daybreak Insiders, Charles de la Desma.
0: The strike, which represents more than 700,000 workers in health transit and banking and elsewhere could paralyze large parts of Israel's economy, ratcheting up the pressure on Netanyahu to suspend the overhaul Departing flights out of the country's main international airport have been grounded in protest, affecting thousands of travellers. The growing resistance to the plan comes hours after tens of thousands of people burst onto the streets in a spontaneous show of anger, chanting the country is on fire they lit bonfires on television main highway closing the throughway and many others throughout the country for hours i'm charles
1: the u.s coast guard is reporting a breathtaking increase of migrants being caught in the waters off southern california in human smuggling boats despite constant monitoring of maritime traffic Only about 30% of these smuggling boats are apprehended.
2: The U.S. Coast Guard reports a staggering jump in the number of smuggling boats from Mexico sailing into California's Pacific waters, up nearly 800%. And only about 30% of them are being stopped in the waters packed with maritime traffic.
1: According to Lieutenant Commander Eric Watkins of the USCG, maritime apprehensions are up 800% since 2017 with 600 migrants being stopped in just the first two months of 2023. Last year, more than 800 migrants died while trying to cross the southern border illegally, according to Customs and Border Patrol. Watkins says that smuggling boats are disguised to look like ordinary maritime traffic, making it hard for authorities to know which vessels to stop. Mike Morgan, the former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, joins the Salem Radio Network and says that it's not just the waterways that are porous.
0: You don't have to be a border security expert to understand this. The, the cartels, they're driven by profit. That's it, they don't care. They don't care about human life. They don't care about national security. All they care about is growing their bank account. That's it. And so what they've seen is, is a very easy and profitable scheme is to simply fly fly Mexican citizens to Canada because Canada doesn't require a visa for Mexican citizens. So they literally will fly them north to Canada, and where then from Canada, they easily cross into the U.S. Because if you think our southern border is open, our northern border is even worse. Our northern border has less technology, less personnel, and less resources. And Canada's uh, immigration laws makes our laws seem like they're good to go. And so that's what we have. It's very predictable. In some parts of the northern border, some sectors of the border toll have seen a 900% increase in illegal aliens year over year.
1: Morgan also points out that the southern border is seeing a large uptick in illegal Chinese nationals crossing into the U.S., on Biden's watch.
0: Why have we seen this increase in Chinese nationals? Who are among the Chinese nationals? Why are we seeing an increase in single adult Chinese yeah, nationals? Yeah, How many yeah. Chinese nationals are among the Godaways? Those are all legitimate questions. Here's the answer but to all those questions. We don't know. And, and that's the antithesis of national security and border security. It's basic. We should know Who and what is coming into our borders? And we don't, Joe. We can't answer those basic questions that you just laid out. We don't know. But guess what? This administration's policies, they don't care about any of that. They care about bad political optics, so they're processing and releasing individuals that we virtually literally know nothing about as fast as humanly possible in the United States, again, to avoid bad
1: political optics. The former acting CBP commissioner says he's frustrated that there still isn't meaningful border legislation being brought up for a vote in Congress.
0: You know, the Republicans have, have, have talked about the Biden's border crisis for two years, justifiably so. They, they even put together a commitment to America where they said we must have strong border security. They campaigned on it, and American people listened enough to say, okay, well, Republicans, we're going to give you back the House, right? And here we are now, almost in April, And we still don't have a meaningful piece of border security legislation that have been placed on the the floor for a vote. And what we're hearing right now is there's actually a couple of Republicans, and Tony Gonzalez is leading the charge, that's actually pushing back what Chairman uh, uh, Green of the Homeland Security Committee and Chairman Jordan is trying to do in the Judiciary Committee. We actually have Republicans now that are pushing back, trying to get that legislation on the floor for a vote.
1: Morgan goes on to say that the most humane thing we as a country can do for migrants is secure our border
0: one of the big false narratives, that they've developed a safe and orderly process for the migrants themselves. It's a big lie. You just told about the one-year-old that was literally dropped off by the cartel and he ran off like the coward that he is. That's happened on a regular basis. We've talked about the 1,500 dead migrants that CBP has found over the 24 months. We talked about the, the victimization of young women and children that are raped and sexually assaulted on their journey or those that are thrust in the life of trafficking. It all revolves around unsecured borders and this administration's bad policies. The worst thing that we can have for our nation's safety and national security as well as the migrants is to have open border policies that we have. So you and I talk about it, but it's not talked about enough. Americans' people, their compassion has been hijacked. There's a false narrative out there. There's no downside to secure our border. Every body wins.
1: Incidents where migrants are rescued or stopped happen far less frequently than instances of migrants successfully making it to shore. The gotaways are suspected to be in the thousands. The House Speaker recently indicated that the House will move forward with TikTok legislation. Daybreak Insider's Edwin Mora has more on this developing story. House Speaker
2: Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, revealed Sunday that lawmakers would be advancing legislation to address national security concerns surrounding TikTok after the social media giant CEO faced a bipartisan grilling from a congressional committee. Echoing members of that panel, the Speaker also rejected the CEO's assertions that Communist China does not have access to TikTok user data. He commented on the popular social media via Twitter. The speaker did not specify what legislation he was referring to, but he has joined a bipartisan chorus of lawmakers in both the House and Senate calling for a ban on TikTok, a position that also has the support of President Biden. Edwin Mora, Capitol Hill.
1: Recently, President Joe Biden unveiled his 2024 budget, which raised eyebrows due to its steep price tag of $6.9 trillion. What caused some backlash among conservatives was the hefty $52.2 billion tucked away for discretionary spending for environmental justice. The 2024 budget would allot $181 million to accelerate the deployment of clean energy on public lands and waters. It also pledges $11.9 billion to the Department of Energy for climate and clean energy research development, demonstration, and deployment under the guise of cutting energy costs. These initiatives fall under the label of ESG, or Environmental Social Governance. ESG recently made headlines when Biden vetoed a Republican proposal to prevent pension fund managers from basing investment decisions on factors like climate change. Justin Haskins is the Director of Socialism Research at the Heartland Institute, and he joins the Salem Radio Network and says that while the term ESG may be in the headlines now it's not a new concept so
2: ESG is something as you've said it's interesting most people think it's a new thing it's actually not a new thing it's been around for a long long time and a, probably a bunch even of longer than 14 years ago. <laughs> it's just yeah, the first oh, time I heard of it. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, you can find uh, quotes from people like Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, talking about this very concept, you didn't call it ESG, back in the 1970s, called it stakeholder capitalism or stakeholder theory. Um, the idea that shareholders shouldn't come first when we're looking at how to prioritize things in businesses. Um, instead, the stakeholders, which is just another way of saying collectivists, or the collective should be the focus of what businesses are doing. So businesses should put the collective first. It's a way of sort of socializing. Uh, businesses.
1: Haskins explains why he believes that ESG is simply one big economic scam.
2: They'll say that they're doing this because they care about the planet. They care about fighting climate change. They care about wealth inequality and racial inequalities and all these different things. But the fact of the matter is, and this is a a well-documented fact, They are making lots and lots and lots of money off of this. It's a scheme. It's a gigantic Ponzi scheme. It's one of the world's largest Ponzi schemes, in fact. Um, The government prints lots of money. They create regulations that benefit people who have uh, high ESG scores. Um, This is starting to happen all over the world, especially in Europe. Um, But we're starting to see this in America as well. Uh, Central banks are pumping trillions and trillions of dollars into the economic system. Um, the banks are then using ESG scores and uh, as well as credit ratings agencies like Moody's and um, Fitch ratings and all these others to make sure that the quote unquote good companies, the people who have high ESG scores are getting access to the capital first or at lower interest rates, or they're getting some sort of beneficial arrangement. Um, You're starting to see whole industries because of low ESG scores being phased out of long-term plans for banks and financial institutions. So fundamentally ESG, ESG is a way to control and manipulate the economy.
1: There is some hope, however, as Haskins points out, that some state governments are beginning to push back against ESG.
2: For years, pensions in red states and blue states alike, at an overwhelming rate, have been pouring their money into these institutions that are actively promoting ESG, even in situations where they're deliberately trying to undermine industries that these states are dependent on. So you've started to see state governments, not the pension funds themselves, because many of the pension funds are still run by people who like this ESG stuff. But you're starting to see governments, leaders of governments, state treasurers and governors like Ron DeSantis and others, uh, Riley Moore in West Virginia, step up and say, "Okay, we're done with this because we're not going to continue to use public funds to promote left wing causes.
1: Haskins goes on to say that rejecting ESG is not about politics.
2: ESG, by its very definition, is anti market. They'll say it's pro it's capitalism. That's how they present it. But it's not because if ESG, the only reason ESG exists is because they want to create a whole nother set of non market based metrics to apply to these companies so that we can coerce them to doing things that they normally wouldn't do. For example, one of my, uh, one, one of the, the craziest instances of this is that, uh, a metric that's commonly used is water usage and land usage. So, the more water you're using and the more land you're using, the lower your ESG score is. Well, that applies to big corporate farms. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a farm, we want you producing as much food as you could possibly sell. That's what we want from farms. Mm -hmm. But they're actually being incentivized financially to limit the amount of water they're using and the amount of land they're using, which means the amount of food they're producing on purpose. We're giving them money. We're actually incentivizing them financially to do something that the market does not dictate um, and that completely goes against the business model. Without a right. doubt. that's And that's the thing. You touched on it earlier. This actually is not a left versus right thing. This is an elites versus everybody else thing.
1: According to some economic experts, Biden's 2024 budget, which leans heavily into ESG, would perpetuate the energy crisis. First Citizens Bank has been given the green light to acquire troubled Silicon Valley Bank. Daybreak Insider's Norman Hall has more on this story. The FDIC said in a statement late Sunday that the transaction involves the sale of all deposits and loans of SVB to First Citizens. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank rattled the banking industry and led the FDIC and other regulators to act to protect depositors to prevent wider financial turmoil. SVB, based in Santa Clara, California, failed on March 10th after depositors rushed to withdraw money amid fears about the bank's health. It was the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. I'm Norman Hall. There's a special chance this week to see five planets lined up in the night sky. Daybreak Insider's Jason Walker has more on this story for the astronomer in your life. Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, Uranus, and Mars will gather near the moon in what's being called a planet parade. The best day to spot all five? Tuesday, right after sunset. If you look to the west, you'll be able to see them stretching up toward the moon. You might need binoculars to catch Mercury. It's not quite as bright as the others. But that array will be visible from anywhere on Earth, as long as you, of course, have clear skies. Jason Walker reporting. And finally, when you're out having a picnic with friends, be sure to keep an eye out for wild animals. Because, as one man learned, an inquisitive critter may make off with your picnic basket. In a game reserve in South Africa, Dave Woolhutter and a group of his friends were about to enjoy a picnic when they were interrupted by a curious crocodile. Now come on, Crocky,
4: this is not playing cricket. No. Go back into the water. Look at this, we're trying to have a picnic here. As I just come straight out of the water.
1: <laughs> Brother, you've got to go back into the yaw, your lovely deck. <laughs> Have you ever seen a reptile a like dance? <laughs> soon, Wallhunter learned that the renegade reptile had a taste for a cold brew because he soon took off with a cooler full of beer. My beer's are in that cooler box, man. No, bring me my
4: cooler box. And oh, There's the other dude. Oh, he's come up there. This is not very gentlemanly behavior. And he knocked it over. Thank you for having all my castle lights and the wine. Thank you, (laughs) This is insane. There is a a soda water bubbling in the water. Oh! (laughs) No!
1: Jeez! Two crocs on it. Thankfully, while Woolhutter may have been less one cooler, he got away with only a chuckle. However, wildlife experts say that it's important to never feed wildlife as it could lead to dangerous situations like the one Woolhutter faced. Just because animals like the crocodile he faced may seem harmless or friendly doesn't mean that they are. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify or Salem Podcast Network. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Jim Bartow.